Thank you. Good evening, friends. Very happy to be here this afternoon. This is one time we have to get together to keep from freezing, isn't it? <laughs> well, I've often heard it say, ill wind that blows no one some good. <laughs> but um, they said they had a, some kind of a ball game over at the other place, and it uh, kind of knocked us out a little. I'm sorry, sister, i got a big hat here you can hang up there if you want to. But it's uh, the, the sun back and forth, and I thank you all are very loyal and very nice to come out in a real cold afternoon and sit here for this occasion to just uh, hear the experience of, of a life story. And I pray that God will just abundantly bless you for these efforts and uh, of you coming in uh, for this afternoon. And I'm sorry that, you know, we, these, a lot of things are, they come when we don't know when they're coming, and that's the way all life is, isn't it? I was coming down the elevator a while ago, and I said to the man, I said, your job has its ups and downs. And he said, that's right. I said, well, all life has that. And we, you know, we don't enjoy the ups unless we have the downs. Is that right? Did you realize we wouldn't have any mountains if we didn't have any valleys? You wouldn't appreciate the sunshine if there wasn't any night. Is that right? And a person sometimes very, very good health. Maybe they don't know how to appreciate it. They had a real sick spell sometime and almost died, and then they, they can appreciate your good health. So you have to have, it's, uh, what does it call it? The law of contrast, <laughs> I believe. I doubt whether you can hear this very much because it's just backing right up this way. Can you hear all right out there if you can? Back towards your back. Raise up your hands. It's, it's kind of a mumble. Is that better? Is it better if I get back a little piece from it? Can't you hear it? <laughs> now, let's see. Who's on the business end? All right. That, that's, uh, now can you hear that better? How many can you hear back towards your back? Would you raise your hands? I can't hear a thing back there. All right, step it up just a little bit. Can you hear that now? Now they're getting that. Now that's, that's just better. Well, friends, I won't, I won't keep you but just a little while, just as quick as I can get through. It's a life story. No one hardly especially has had a life like I have uh, enjoys telling about it. But in doing so, it sometimes it causes those who are haven't traveled these rugged roads yet. Maybe they see the jumping off places and help them to bypass a lot of rugged places. And now I, I trust that you will be at the service tonight. I don't know whenever I've tried my best to put, to do the best that I know how in the services. This is really one of my first campaigns in Kentucky, my home state, and I wanted it to be a success for God's glory, so very bad. Of course, I can expect Satan to give me just as rough a way at it as he can do it. But I know I have thousands of friends throughout Kentucky, God's people. And I was talking a while ago to some friends and telling them that there was some 
told me about how that the Holy Spirit had talked to a woman and how that he had told her different things and what was they didn't know how that I would understand that and I told her it was wasn't me I just see it happen in front of me and I just speak what I see that's all I know what to say just what I can see and I believe that we're just now living in the, one of the most glorious times that mortals ever lived. I believe we're near the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm just so happy to be alive today to speak of him to the people. I want to read some scripture just before we start into the service found in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, the 10th to the 14th verse. And now are you hearing any better, any anywhere? Can you hear back over in this corner? I notice many people even going out, that they seem like they look at one another, shake their heads, and just get up and go out, they can't hear. Um, bear with me just a little while, if you will. I'll read these words. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach, for here we have no continuing city. Thank you. Can we bow our heads just a moment now? Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the privilege of being gathered here in the building today and for living in a nation where freedom of religion and we can have a right to speak and to talk and to congregate together. And as the poet said, long may our lands be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God our King. And today as we're going to take a little visit, if it be thy will, down the lane, back and up, where we used to trod years ago, we pray that you'll be with us and help us, and may many here that alien away from home, strange country, I pray, God, that you'll let them draw nigh unto thee, for we know that we are pilgrims and strangers in this world. We're seeking a city to come whose builder and maker is God. Bless everyone, and may something miraculously take place today because that these poor people has made an effort to come out in the set in this cold room under this difficult just together for the gospel's sake we pray that you'll grant these things in jesus name amen this today is and i will hurry and watch watch it Life is, hasn't been a flower bed of ease for me, Christian friends. 
than one toil and tussle after another, to go into it in the right way and tell of what God has done would take hours. So you just have to kind of cut it up in a few moments so that you won't uh, get too cold as we're trying this afternoon. But there's no one here but what likes to think of childhood. Isn't that right? Most of my audience this afternoon are at least middle-aged people, few young folks, but no matter wherever you roam, you'll never find no place like home, no matter where it is. Many of you elderly people here this afternoon, gray hair, if you could just close your eyes and take a little mental trip back down that old path that you used to walk when you was a child. Think of the old garden gate and many things. A mother that's gone on long years ago, an old dad. It, it brings back something that we cherish as a picture in our heart, and nothing can take it out of there. How many of you can remember an old home place this afternoon? Let's see your hands. Just looking. How many of you are away from home, away from your home place? Let's see your hands. Just look. There's something about childhood and the adolescent age that there's nothing else through life will ever take its place. Remember the old, how our mothers used to catch us and dad when we do wrong, give us a little spanking? All oh, that was horrible. But you know, many of you this afternoon along with myself, I would just give anything that I could think of. And my daddy was on this earth to give me a spanking. He can't be no more, all. My father's gone on. And many of you the same way. There's nothing like the childhood. I, with many of you here this afternoon, was born here in Kentucky up here in a little log cabin. Well, we moved to Indiana just across the river when I was just a little lad, just very young, not over two years old, three. I remember our first experience here. We were very, very poor. That's the reason today that I, my choice, and I, I say this with reverence, my choice is to be a poor man. I could have been a malted millionaire if I'd wanted to be. One person brought me a check, FBI agent, for a million five hundred thousand dollars, a bank draft, and I refused to look at it. The Mission Bell Winery in California. A woman has been to St. Louis and both breasts taken off and she was, cancer went to her. A doctor was converted on the case, Dr. Theodore Palvitas, which is preaching the gospel this afternoon in Oakland, California. And how the Lord spoke to the woman, told her on three days she'd be shopping in the streets, told her daughter she's unconscious. The doctor said, very idea, Reverend Branham, you build somebody up on a false hope like getting that woman laying there dying. I said, I'm in position to stay here. If that woman isn't walking on the street well in three days, I'll put a sign on my back as false prophet and you just run me around over town in front of your car. 
And then if she isn't, I'll do that, and if she is, let me put one on your back and go. The doctor was converted, preaching the gospel today. One of the best surgeons on the West Coast, people even flew from New York to be operated by him. And they sent me a million five hundred thousand dollars in a bank draft. Two agents brought it. Me living in a two-room shanty at the time. But it isn't money what makes happiness. Happiness doesn't consist of how much of the world's goods you own, but how contented you are with the portion that's been lauded to you. Just make yourself contented as long as one thing that brings contentment and that alone is Jesus Christ. Here some time ago, Mr. Avak over in the same country was given a great big nice Cadillac. I appreciate that. Any man that can ride in one, I appreciate it. And at that time I had an old Chevrolet, old truck, all beat up, about 18 years old. And some of those wealthy, fine Armenian people said, Brother Branham, we gave Avak a Cadillac. We got one for you. And I said, thank you. But I don't believe I could use it. I said, well, we'll give it to you. We'll give you a Packard or whatever you want. So that old truck you beat around in, I said, if I got what I deserved, I'd walk. And that's true. But how could I come down to Arkansas, where some of my meetings are held among the poorest of people, a little old mother out there pulling a cotton sack, half dead with female trouble or something, eating Joe bacon and cornbread for breakfast, putting a dollar in the offering at night, and me come along down through there in a big, nice Cadillac, and there goes Brother Brandon. <laughs> I couldn't do that. No. No, I... I I'd rather have favor with God than to have anything that I know of in the world. And if I got favor with God, I can serve his people. I've always been a black sheep in my family. And I was always in my church a black sheep. And it's just recently that I have begun to come into a group of people that love me. And to that group of people, I aim to give my life and service. And I, I love them, and they love me. And all my life I've been in a, a person that wanted somebody to think something of me. Sorry to say, but my family wasn't religious. My father was just a typical Kentucky boy up here, drank up every penny he had. And I, I hate to say those things. But what is truth is the truth. No matter if it hurts or whether it doesn't, if it's dark and it's on me, well, it's just on me. It's the truth. And you be truthful and honest with God, God will bless you for it. And although my daddy did drink, and drinking's what killed him, but no matter what he did, he's still my daddy. Out there on his grave today, where the white snow lays, he's still my daddy. And let me tell you young people something. No matter what you ever do, 
Don't you never disregard or disobey your mother and father. They got such a word today to say the old man and the old woman. One of these days when a squeaking casket is going out the door and they're going out head first, you look down to see your mother or dad at the last time you'll ever see them on this earth, you'll realize it's not the old man and old woman then. Honor thy father and mother, which may lengthen the days on the earth the Lord giveth you. That's the first commandment with promise. Obeying. I've seen Dad work. He lived in a little cabin up on the Utica Pike where we moved to from Kentucky to Indiana, right on the river road. I've seen him work in the log woods for 75 cents a day to make a living for me when I was too young, four, five, six years old, till his shirt would sunburn into his back. I've seen my mother cut the shirt from his back with a pair of scissors. I don't care what he done. He's my daddy, and I love him. He died on my arms. His black wavy hair laying across my arms, his little Irish blue eyes looking up at me. Seen a white angel standing before him. I led him to Christ just before he died. He was my dad. He had a great respect for me. The last drink he ever taken in his life, he was standing in a low saloon down there. Wasn't two weeks before he died. He started to somebody was treating him during the time of the depression. He was broke. They give him a, some drink, and he started taking it up in his hands, and he started spilling it. He tried to drink it, and it went all over his face, and they started teasing. Before he took it, he said, look, fellas, so I got a boy sitting up in a pulpit, and that boy's right, and I'm wrong. He said, don't let this reflect on my boy. So this was the last drop I'll ever take in all my life, and it was. So I honor him today as my dad. It's hard work. I remember when we went to school. I'm firmly against drinking. I remember reading of a man that was born a hundred miles from me, a hundred years different, in a little old cabin. His name was Abraham Lincoln, one of the greatest men Kentucky ever produced, in my opinion. And Abraham Lincoln, when he got off of the boat down in New Orleans, you see him auction some colored people off as a slave, a big, heavy man. His little poor little wife and children stand out crying, breeding like cattle to bigger, heavier women to make better slaves. Lincoln, as many of you know in the history, when he folded his hands and smacked them together and said, that's wrong. And by the help of God, if it takes my life, I'll hit it with all I got. And he did. Here some time ago I was standing in a museum and when he had to cross the river in Illinois. I seen an old colored man with a little white rim of hair around his head, looking around, watching for something, he looked into a little box, and he stopped real quick and got back. He just looked like he was frozen. The tears dropping off his cheeks. 
He raised up his eyes like that towards God, and he had a prayer. I stood off and watched him for a little bit. I walked over to where he was at, and I said, How'd he do, Uncle? He said, How'd he do, sir? I said, What excited you so? He said, You don't understand? I said, No. He said, Come look here. And I looked in there under a glass. was a little old dress. This little dress folded up laying there. I said, well, I only see a dress. He said, but that spot on the corner is the blood of Abraham Lincoln. He said, I got a mark across here as a slave belt, and the blood of that man took a slave belt off of me. Wouldn't that excite you? I stood there. I couldn't answer him. I thought, if a colored man, by taking a slave belt off of him, how much more ought a Christian to be excited of the blood of Jesus Christ? For taking sin from his life and made him a new creature in Christ Jesus. Down his life went. We had a hard time, very hard. I remember going to school with no clothes, hardly. Went to school one year without even a, a shirt. And my dad was a good man, but it was drinking that ruined him. I put my coat up like this, buttoned it with a, or pinned it with a pen, a rich woman, Ms. Wappen, to give me the coat. And I know how it made us go without something to eat. It made us go without shoes, and I never got an education. All because of drinking that drove my daddy to it, a habit. That's the reason I'm against it today, to fight it with everything I got. It's wrong. And brethren, women, if you're here and do such, God have mercy, don't do it no more. Don't let it boss you, you boss it. And I remember going to school one day, it kind of sounds like a joke. Got summertime and I didn't have no, no shirt to put on. I still wearing this great big heavy coat. I had a pair of tennis shoes on, toes out of wet all the time. I wonder if God hadn't been with me, I'd have had pneumonia and died. So the teacher said it's real warm. The, the trees, the maples are all blooming out like, and the teacher said, well, I didn't have this little bit of fire in the old school room, one, one room of school. The teacher said, William, won't you take that coat off? I couldn't take that coat off. I didn't have no shirt on. I said, uh, thank you, teacher. I, I'm just a bit cold. <laughs> She said, well, you better come over here to the stove that you got a cold. <laughs> and me just about smother anyhow, and she built up the fire and set me behind the stove. <laughs> I sat there in a perspiration on my face. She said, can't you take that coat off yet? I said, no, ma'am. <laughs> I couldn't take it off because it didn't have on any shirt. <laughs> and so I just had to sit there and suffer it out. <laughs> I remember the shirt that I got. One of my cousins had come to stay with us, a girl about my age, and when she left, she left one of her skirts. I got thinking one day, seeing it had short sleeves, why couldn't I cut the, this bottom part off of it and so far down and make me a shirt out of it and her dress? So I went and cut it off. It had that little, what did you call that stuff around the side? You know, it's rip rats. Uh, all over the side of it, like this, you know. And um, 
That's the wrong name. It ain't Rip Rad, is it? Or something on anything. I said stuff all over the sides of it, you know. So I went to school with this on, you know, and I felt just as fine and cool. The kiddies got laughing at me. I said, don't laugh. That's my Indian suit. <laughs> it's my cousin's skirt. <laughs> they laughed at me, and I got crying and went home. Many of you here can remember the 1917 when they had the big snow. Oh, my, the banks up here, one of the coldest winters we ever had. My mother was sewing for the government at the time. Now, remember, all the boys at school had sleds they could slide down the hill. I didn't have no sled, brother and I. So we got out of the old country dump and got a dishpan. It's got a big sleet on top of the ground. We'd sit down and put our legs around one another and our arms around one another, and here we go down the hill. We wasn't as much class as the rest of them, but we were sliding just the same. So we we right on down the hill with this old dishpan turning around and around and around. When we got to the bottom of the hill, that went all right until the bottom come out of it. The bottom come out, well, we got us a log, rode down on this log. I remember there's a boy named Lloyd Ford, and it's during the time of the First World War, and we was little lads, and he was selling this Pathfinder magazine. How many members of the old Pathfinder magazine? Well, he was selling this magazine, and he got to wear a Boy Scout suit, and he belonged to some kind of scouts or something like that. Scout suit for selling it, loan scouts or something. Oh, everything that was had to have a uniform on it. Oh, I always wanted to be a soldier. And I asked Lloyd, I said, Lloyd, when you wear that out, will you give it to me? He said, Yes, he'd give it to me. Looked like a thing never would wear out. He just kept on going. One day I said to him, Lloyd, what happened to that suit? He said, Oh, I forgot it, Billy. He said, I'll see if I can find it. The only thing he'd find was one leg and one little drawstring on the side of the leg and about like that. And I said, well, bring that to me. I wore around home that one leg and I thought it looked fine. <laughs> I wanted to wear it to school, so I just stuffed it back in a coat. I was riding down on my log that day and I act like I hurt my leg. <laughs> I wanted to wear that leg and before the kids at school. I put this one leg in the horn. Going, I said, you know, I hurt my leg. I happen to think I got one of my leg in here my boy scout suit. <laughs> Put that one leg in on a year. I went into school. I got up to work at the blackboard. Do you remember the old country school and the blackboard? I got up to work the province. I put both legs together like that and this leg and on the outside so they couldn't see the other. Stood sideways and worked like this. So see that one leg. And kids got laughing at me. Teacher, I got crying. Teacher made me go home. I always wanted to be a soldier. When the second war come along, that war, I was too young. The next war, they wouldn't take me. But I finally got to join the Army. The Army of the Soldiers of the Cross. My uniform is not on the outside this afternoon, it's on the inside. God gave me a uniform that wouldn't trade for everything in the world. The baptism of the Holy Spirit dressed me up as a soldier from the inside to give me grace to stand in the hour of the trial. How well I remember that old country school. 
us kids would go down there on a the Utica Pike to the old school. Remember the teacher had a great big <coughs> pointer up in the end of the room, and that was the business end of the school. We certainly got what we needed when that good old country teacher would come up and we'd do anything wrong, she'd really give it to us. I got my share. So I remember one day, just around Christmas time, I remember going to get the old cedar tree and pop popcorn string up around the old Christmas trees. Do you remember that? Well, my, my. I'm not the only country boy here, am I? So that string this old popcorn around the Christmas tree, and Mom had some left over, so she'd give it to my brother and I, one next to me, in a little half a gallon syrup bucket. And we'd tuck it to school, and I'd, we'd set it out in the cloakroom, and that was something rare. We couldn't eat dinner with the rest of the kids. The rest of the kids, they get their mothers bake light bread and make sandwiches. But we'd have a little half a gallon syrup bucket, and we'd have a little jar of greens, and a little jar of beans, and two spoons, and two pieces of cornbread. That's what we'd have, maybe. And we shamed to eat before the other children, because they had cookies and things, and we just had a rough time. Hair hanging down our neck. Great big old, any kind of shoes we could wear, anything, it was terrible. But I'd like to live it over. I'd just love to go back one more day. That's true. I remember one day with a mama got us this corn and we set it in there. And I, I got thinking about that corn. I thought, you know, I believe I'll get a handful before school. That wasn't just honest with my brother. I held up my hand and asked the teacher if I could be excused. And when I went out through the cloakroom, I just got a great big handful of that popcorn. Went out and sit behind the schoolhouse and eat it. When dinner time comes, kids like when we, we, the rest of them all begin to go out in their rooms to eat. And we got our little bucket and went over on the hillside down towards the river, right on the banks of the river here. And we, oh, of course, we had to eat the popcorn first. We never had anything like that around home, maybe once a year. So we opened up this bucket, it's pretty near half gone. My brother said, say, something's happened to that, hasn't it? I said, sure has. I know what happened to it. You know, here not long ago, I come from Texas, and I was been real tired in the meeting, and I was standing over on the side there, and my wife went over and got the babies. They picking some violence, and I was trying to rest my mind. Oh, my, those visions, you just don't realize, people, what it does to you. And I, I stand there, leaned across the fence like this, looking, and I remember how we used to line up there, little old boys, and holes in their socks. Look up across the hill, remember when Pop used to come across the field with a little old wagon and mule? Every Saturday night we'd go to town, get the groceries for the week. Now I thought about that handful of popcorn. You know it's best not to do nothing wrong, isn't it? It'll come home to you sometime. I stood there and began to think, now Edward's gone. He's been dead for years. Just as soon as he got any age on him, he was killed. He died calling for me. I was working on a cattle ranch out west. And when I stood there and began to think about him, I thought I remembered that handful of corn that I took out of that bucket. And I thought I'd give everything that I ever could own in this world if I could go to him again and take him that handful of corn that I took. I can't do it. 
Here we have no continuing city. I remember the old house you set up there, that big log house, and how big the logs was in it. And we had a little apple tree on the outside. There's a piece of looking glass packed up for Mara on the on the little bench built on the tree, and we'd go out there, and Pop would come in and wash. He's about 30 years old, I guess, then he'd wash his hands and things on the outside, come into the little old cabin to eat. And I remember how strong I used to look. My daddy was a small man, but a great big muscle. I thought, my, he'll live forever. Such a strong man. And a wiry, real typical Irishman. And he was, he was as wiry as he could be. And I thought, oh, how strong my daddy is. I used to look at the old log house and see how tight she was put together. I said, my, that old house, it'll be there when I... My children are, are old. And you know what? About 25 years, there's a housing project there. The old spring I used to drink out of is filled up and gone. House is gone. Dad died at 52 years old. Here we have no continuing city. That's right. But brother or sister, we're pilgrims and strangers today seeking one that has eternal foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I was very bashful as a kid. I remember trying to be a businessman when I was a kid. How many ever got the old wagon or something there and put some quilts around you and throw some straw in a bed and ride downtown? Let's see, go down to get the groceries all night. On Saturday, I remember we used to do that, and every time Pop would pay the tremendous grocery bill, about $2.75, $3 for a week, five kids. The groceryman was so pleased to get that big bill, he'd give him a little sack of candy. And when they bring that sack of candy out, old stick peppermints, you remember? Say, it's pretty good, isn't it? I used that and salty crackers goes good for me, yes. So they had that little sack full of candy and bring it out and sitting in this pile of hay out in that wagon was about five little pair of blue eyes looking for that candy, waited all week for it. If there wasn't a stick around to go around every one of them, they had to break it up just exactly equally to each one. I remember everyone waiting for his part. And we'd suck on it. We couldn't eat it. Go too quick. Had to suck on it. <laughs> so I remember I used to take mine and wrap it up in a piece of paper and put it in my pocket. And Monday come, I live like a king. Mother would say, William. I'd say, yes, Mama. Go to the spring and get a bucket of water. Yes, Mama. I'd say, hey. I'd call my brother Humpy. I'd say, Humpy, tell you what I do. If you go get that big old cedar bucket, you know, on a gold dipper, you <laughs> I said, if you go get that bucket of water, I'll let you have five licks off of this piece of candy. <laughs> I'd undo it and say, smell it, see it's good. <laughs> Salesmanship. Brother, I took it easy as long as that candy lasted. <laughs> I really had it made when I had that piece of candy. He go get it. I'd be sure just five weeks alone when I'd take it. Five weeks and anything had to be done, I'd let him do it for me, the rest of them. Businessman. <laughs> this stick of candy. I thought of that when I stand there thinking about when we used to line up. 
Perhaps today, I guess I could go buy a whole box of chocolate Hershey's if I wanted to, but it never tastes like that good old peppermint candy then. That was really good. I know it's cold in here. We'll hurry as quick as can. I love you in some glorious day, maybe if not in this life, when we all cross over the river on the other side, uh, I'll sit down with you over there. We'll talk it all over there. It won't be cold there. No, we'll sit down by the evergreen tree. I want to tell you about me getting married. I, my father, making whiskey and seeing people come there and getting the whiskey and drinking and seeing the misbehavior of women, how young women would come there with other men, knowing it wasn't their husbands, I swore I'd never have nothing to do with a woman. I thought that was the littlest, lowest, and I haven't changed my opinion. It is. That's right. Oh, my, I thought that's horrible. I said, me, I'll be an old bachelor as long as I live. They'd have little parties at the house, you know, and play these little old games about to hunt the buffalo or whatever it is, you know, the old Kentucky dances they used to have and have the fiddler stand on a box and saw the fiddle and it all, uh, I don't know, every kind. But me, I never stayed to one of them in my life. I had an old coon dog. Now, how many knows what that is? You mean me standing in Kentucky and only about five men knows what a coon dog is in Kentucky? Say, is this Kentucky? I don't believe we're far enough down yet. <laughs> You're too close to Indiana here. All right, an old dog, and I had an old twenty-two rifle, and that's where I lived in the woods all my life. I'd go out, lay on top of the roof, never went to a dance in my life. When I was about seven years old, I was packing water one day. You've heard that part of the story. Sorry to say, packed it through a moonshine still for my daddy. Two little half a gallon molasses buckets. And as I went up the lane, as in a September, the leaves would begin to turn kind of brown. I sat down under the tree and was sitting there crying because I couldn't go fishing out to an old ice pond. All the other boys had gone out there at the ice pond. And while out sitting there, just as still as it is in this room from the wind, I could hear something a-blowing like a... I wonder, where was that? And I couldn't see any leaves blowing. It sounded like leaves. And I squalled a few times. Had on a pair of overalls with a fodder twine across for a gallop and a nail for a button. Or for a button. I don't know whether you use one or not. It makes a good one. And uh, I had a, my, my stump, my toe, and I had a corn cob tied under to keep from getting the dirt on it. You know, walking all the corn cob tied under my toe. Oh, I was a picture. And I was squalling. I wanted to go out to fish, and the rest of the boys, they was gone out there. I was sitting under the tree thinking, now their daddies don't do this, and why would I have to do this? Pack this water to a moonshine still doing probation. Daddy made thousands of gallons of it, died a pauper, hungry when he died. That doesn't do you any good. 
wrong will always pay wrong. So I remember sitting there and hearing those leaves of blowing, and I got up and I couldn't see them anywhere, and I squalled a couple times and picked up my buckets and started going up. We had several gallons to pack and go to run whiskey that night. And on the road up, I heard it again. I turned around and about halfway up a big old cottonwood tree, silver poplar it's called, it was looked like a whirlwind. We call them little cyclones or whirlwinds in Kentucky, I think is the best name. It's whirling around in the bush. Well, I've noticed them things before, so I, it didn't leave. And out of there, uh, you can think whatever you want to, friends. I can only be honest with you. But out of there come an audible voice and said, Don't never smoke or drink or defile your body in any way. There will be a work for you to do when you get older. Well, I scared me to death. I dropped those buckets and started running screaming at the top of my voice. A lot of copperheads in that country. Mama thought a copperhead had bit me. She was only about 22 years old. She picked me up and I was kissing her and hugging her. She put me to bed and went over to Wobbins and called the doctor. He said, oh, he's just nervous. About, I said, there's a man in that tree. And I heard him what he told me. And I said, I ain't going to never go by there. And to this day, I have never been there. I'd go down the way behind the garden, going back to the, the pump was down at the barn, and we had to pack water up to the house. I've never been there to this day. And from that time, and that was been a long time ago. So then I remember about two weeks after that, I was playing marble with my brother. And there I, I felt something strange come over me. I didn't know what was taking place. And I went out, sat down just a minute, and I looked, and right before me I seen something moving. And the waters looked like the river was looking closer to me. And I seen the municipal bridge that spans the river now come up and cross the river and seen the mountain man dropped off. Went in and told my mama, she said, you had a dream, honey. I said, no, ma'am. I stood and looked right at it. And I seen what it did. And, and 22 years from that very same year, the bridge was spanned the Ohio River and just exactly the same amount of man lost their life. And it just kept on going, every time, everywhere. Just vision after vision. Nobody... I remember my first date I had with a little girl. You know how boys are. When you get about 16, 17, you got a sweetheart. And all that first one, you know how she looked. <laughs> I was a big old bashful country boy, but I remember the first girl that I had, oh, she had teeth like pearls, she had eyes like a dove, neck like a swan. <laughs> oh, she's the prettiest thing I've ever seen in my life. So she'd just come into school, so I said to the other boyfriend, I said, you get your daddy's old Ford, I got 75 cents. And we'll get us two gallons of gasoline for a quarter, and um, so and I'll have 50 cents left, and we'll go out and have a good time. So we had to jack the old Ford up and, you know, make, did you ever do that to your old Ford? When it was about a half backslid anyhow, you know, and pull it up till we got it started. He got his girl and I got mine, and away we went. My, I think she'd go out with me. One at night time, didn't have to dress too good. You know, he wasn't going nowhere anyhow. So I sat back in the back of the car talking to this little lady, her way over on one side of me, way over on the other, just so bashful, you know. I just, my, I know my face is bound to be red, so we stopped down there at a place to get some sandwiches. You get a great big ham sandwich for a nickel. 
so I was I was the sport of the crowd. I was going in and was going to get uh, some ham sandwiches. So I got some sandwiches and come out and some cokes and we drank the cokes and ate the sandwich. And I thought, oh my, I'm a real fellow now. Somebody likes me and oh my, we just having a good time. And just along about that time, more women begin to backslide enough to smoke cigarettes. And when I come back out, my little queen was smoking a cigarette. Well, I've always had my opinion of a woman that would smoke a cigarette. It's the lowest thing she could do. And I haven't changed my opinion of this. If God is the Holy Spirit that deals with me, If you expect to get to heaven, you better stop before you get there with that stuff. That's right. Now, I'm not here to preach the gospel. Your minister sure do that. But let me tell you something, women. It's a disgrace to the world. When I get statistics from the government, it shows that 80% of the babies that's born have to be raised on cow's milk. If they nurse from the mother, they die within 18 months on account of nicotine poison. Communists, fifth colonists, listen, brother, don't you fear about Russia coming over here and doing anything, or Germany, or any other nation. It's our own rottenness killing us. It ain't the robin that pecks on the apple that hurts the apple, it's the worm at the core that kills the apple. We're becoming so demoralized that no wonder we're breaking. We're breaking ourselves. Oh, so much for that. Anyhow, she's smoking this little cigarette. I looked at her, and my, she sure passed out of my view. And I, I looked at her, and I could hardly believe it was her, that pretty little girl sitting there smoking that cigarette. She's blowing it through her nose, you Sickening looking. Any man let his wife smoke cigarettes shows what he's made out of. That's right. That's right. Said exactly. Brother of mine may do it. If she does, she's got the same door to go out of it she come in with. That's exactly right. Sitting there, smoke, shows who's boss at the house. Sitting there, it's, it's bad enough and too bad for a man. And there she was sitting there blowing that smoke through her nose. I thought, well, poor girl. She said, do you have a cigarette, Billy? And I said, no, ma'am, thanks. I don't smoke. She said, now, you say you don't dance. She is one of these little poppers, nickel fritz type, you know. She said, you don't dance, and, and you said you don't drink, and now you don't smoke. She said, what do you like to do? And I said, well, I like to hunt and fish. That didn't interest her. <laughs> so she, she said, well, you big sissy. Oh, my. I was going to be Big Bad Bill, see? And here I was a sissy in her estimation. Once before that, my daddy had called me a sissy. was going down to pick up some bottles down the river, you know, along the river, and Brother and I got a nickel a dozen for picking up bottles where they put the whiskey in. And I was, and I had an old boat, didn't have an old rudder on the back of it, we had two boards, my brother on one side and me on the other, and this man had a big duff, y'all, and I thought he, his name was Tim Kenny, and he was going to let me... Uh, used his duck boat, and I thought, there's one guy that likes me. And when he was going to let me row up the river in his duck boat and that day, 
We're going across the hill, down below the old home place. There's a tree that blowed down across the path, and Dad just threw his leg up across the trees one Sunday morning, and he stopped and pulled a little flat bottle of whiskey out of his pocket, gave it to Mr. McKinney and said, uh, have a drink. He'd taken a drink, handed it over to me. He said, have a drink. I said, no thanks, I don't, don't drink. He said, what? A Branham and don't drink? And Pop said, no, I raised one sissy. <laughs> sissy. Well, I've got me. I said, hand me that bottle. And I cut that bottle with as much determination to take the drink as I am to have a service tonight. I pulled a cork out of it, started turned up to drink it. Now, you can call this whatever you want to. But when I started to take that drink of whiskey, I heard something go. I thought, what is that? I started again and I just kept making that noise like a whirling of the wind and leaves. The same noise that told me never to smoke or drink or demand. I couldn't take it. What was it? It wasn't because I was too good to. It was because God was protecting his gifts. It's nothing to man. He's nothing. It's God. I dropped the bottle and started crying and run up to the field. And that night when that girl called me a sissy because I wouldn't smoke a cigarette, I said, nobody wants me in here. Even my girls won't have nothing to do with me. Hand me that cigarette. I took it just as determined to take a, that cigarette and smoke it as I am to, to finish this story. And she handed it to me. I pulled one of the cigarettes out of the pack, reached down, struck a match, and started to put it to my mouth. Just as I started to do that, I heard go, Well, that's just my imagination. I got it again, started up to my mouth with it again, and again roared. I looked at the cigarette, the matches burning down. I looked at her. I remember that, don't you never drink or defile your body in any way. I stood there a little bit. I got real shaky. I started crying. I dropped the cigarette. She said, well, you big sissy, you. And I stood it down and started walking up the road by myself, crying with my hands in my pocket. And they followed me with the car with the lights on me and an old Model T Ford a laughing at me. I went out and sat down in the field. I left and went across the field. I could take you and put you right on the same spot. I sat there and said, I'll go home and finish the job. Nobody wants me. Nobody in my life is a misery. So what's the use of me living? Sitting out there in that field that night. God's grace. Wish I had more time at camp to get into that right there, to say what's taking place. But someday I will, of God's help. You might wonder how I got married. I finally found a girl that didn't drink and smoke. Just look around. They're still here. The backbone of the nation. So... She was a lovely girl. How glad I'm glad to talk about her and her boy and about her and I sitting back here listening at me. She was a queen. She was everything that a lady could be. I went with her. She was out of a good family. I was, my family wasn't much. But she was such a real nice girl, Christian girl. I go with her to church. That's where she's taken me. The church. I remember 
My conversion, when I was converted, I just have to bypass most of it to hurry up now. I remember in the, I began to make up my mind that I, she was too good a girl for me just to go with her. Somebody ought to marry her who would make her a good living, and I was only making 20 cents an hour, so I, I know that I couldn't make her no living at that. Working as a ditch digger, and her father made 500 and something a month during time of the Depression, the Brotherhood organizer on the Pennsylvania Railroad. But she loved me, and I loved her, so I thought they'd just go to be a, I just had to tell her and just walk away, and I couldn't do it. I tried to. Every night I thought I'd tell her I just wouldn't come back no more and let her go ahead and get with some, some good boy that would, could make her a living and, and make her happy, and I was taking up her time and her young life, and I, I didn't want to do that, so I, I was all mixed up, and I didn't want to give her up because I loved her too much. And I certainly was in a bad shape. So I was too bashful to ask her to marry me. I just couldn't do that. Guess you wonder how I ever got married. I wrote her a letter and asked her if she would. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> now it wasn't dear miss. I, you know, a little more than that. I sat down one day and fixed it all up and fixed me up a letter. Now her father was just a good friend. Her mother was a good woman, but she was out of a real starchy church, you know, that, that she believed in. <laughs> Guys like myself, I guess, wasn't too much. So I, I thought I could get by with her daddy, but her mother's what was bothering me. So I just went to work that morning. I said, now, if it don't work, all right, so that'll settle it. And I closed the letter and dropped it in the mailbox and went to work. I had to take her to church on Wednesday night. Had a date. So I'm... Went over and put them box on a Monday morning. So Wednesday night come along, I had to go to church. I happened to get to thinking, you know, never thought of it before, but me mailing that letter, what if her mammy got a hold of it? <laughs> and it was, she didn't get it. I thought, oh, my. I sure be in for it when I get up there. If her mother got it besides, and she didn't get it, the more I thought of it, the more I thought I'd better stay away Wednesday night. Well, I thought, no, I can't do that now. I've got to go. So what am I going to do about it? So I thought, I'll just drive up out front and go easy. I know better to drive up out front and blow the horn. And boys, I'm telling you that now, too, and to you girls. If your bo boyfriend don't think enough of you come up to the house, ask for you, keep away from him. Right. So I pulled this old Ford up out there. It was stopped. And Got up on the porch. I thought I just won't go in the house. You know, if she get me in the house, then I'd be in an awful fix. So I knocked at the door. And so Hope, my wife, or sweetheart, then she comes to the door. She says, "Hello, Billy. Come on in." I thought, uh oh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm afraid to come in. If your mother got that letter, then I'm going to be get me in the house. I can't get out then. So I, I was being an awful fix. So she said, "Won't you step in?" I said. Uh, Thank you. I said, I'll just wait right here on the floor. She said, oh, come on in. My, I walked in, sat down at the door and hold my hat in my hand. I thought, oh, this is sure under a lot of strain. After a while, her mother came in. She said, how do you do, William? <laughs> I said, how do you do, Miss Brownback? Sure fine day. Yeah, sure. So went on. I thought she never got that letter. Went on to church. I didn't hear a thing Dr. Davis said that night. 
only thing I was thinking about, she's, as soon as church is over, she's going to tell me, all right, this is your last night. I was going to lose my girl and had that on my mind. You know how the devil can tell you lies. So then I thought, I'll lose my girl as soon as church is over. So then I never heard another preacher said, when we went home that night, we, she said, let's just walk. I thought, oh, I know she got the letter now. So uh, I was just walking on down the street. I kept looking over at her, oh my, those dark eyes and that moon shining down, you know. <laughs> I just hate to have to lose her, so I, I thought, I know I can't marry a girl like that, so I guess maybe I just go ahead and have to be an old hermit. <laughs> I always said I was going to have a bunch of traps and a dog and live back in the woods, so oh well, now I just guess this is it. And we kept on walking and got almost to the house line. I thought, you know, maybe she didn't get that letter. Maybe it just hung up in the mailbox and she didn't get it. So I got pretty bold, you know, then I was talking right along. She didn't get the mail, so I was kind of glad she didn't. So then I, I was going along, you know, talking fine. Just about the time we got almost the house, she said, Billy? I said, yes, folks. And she said, I got your letter. Oh. I said, you did? She said, uh-huh. Well, I thought, this is it. So walked on a little farther. She just walked on just as quietly. You know how a woman can keep you under suspense, you know. I thought, well, say something. Tell me not to come back no more or do something. So I just kept walking on. I looked over at her, and she looked over at me and just kept on going. So I thought, well, what are you going to say? Well, she just kept on walking. She never said something. I thought I'd kind of break the ice, and I said, did you read it? She said, uh-huh. Well, I thought it was commented some way. <laughs> so, didn't say a word, just kept on going. It was just a little piece of my house. I thought, you're going to leave me right up to your mother, aren't you? <laughs> and then I know we are going to have it. <laughs> and so I said, did you read it all? She said, uh-huh. That's all I could get out of her, uh-huh. So I said, what did you think about it? She said, oh, it was all right. <laughs> we got married. <laughs> 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 you were fine. Yes, sir. Trouble of it was, I, we had to ask your parents. And she said, Billy said, you'll have to ask mother and dad. <clears throat> I said, look, Hope, I said, you know, the best I remember now, that married life is supposed to be 50-50, see? I said, now, I'll tell you what, I'll make an agreement with you. I said, uh, my 50 part, I'll ask your father, and your 50 part, you ask your mother. <laughs> I know where I get by with her dad, but I was her mother. She said, all right. She said, um, if you'll ask Dad first. I said, well, all right. She said, we ought to ask him right away. <laughs> I said, I guess that's right. So I went up to her house at night, sat up there, and I got ready to go. We was all sitting in. Mr. Brumback was sitting over at his desk, typing off something, you know, and oh, my. I just thought I'd stay all night. <laughs> so 
finally got time. I had to say something. So I said, uh, got 9.30, that was my time to go home. How times have changed. So I said, I got up to go home, and so I said, good night, you all. <laughs> walked out, and Hope walked over and said, didn't you, didn't you ask? Won't you ask him? I said, oh, I just can't. I said, I just can't. She said, well, you got to ask me. And I said, uh, well, uh, you take your mother and go in the other room. And she said, uh, all right. So she went back and said, Mom, would you come out here a minute? So I stood there at the door a little bit. I said, uh, Charlie, he was writing on something. He turned around and said, huh? What did you say, Bill? And I said, uh, <laughs> could, I, could I speak to you a minute? <laughs> Turn around and said, Yes, why? What's the matter, Bill? And I said, Would you come here just a minute? <laughs> he said, Yes. He walked out on the porch and oh, I was sweating and my heart beating so fast and I said, Sure is pretty nice, isn't it, Charlie? He said, Sure is, Bill. I said, I like these kind of nights. <laughs> He said, you can have her. How <laughs> ah, he spared me. I said, you mean it? He said, yes. Yeah. I said, what about her mother? He said, I'll take care of that. <laughs> I said, thank you, Charlie. I said, now look, Charlie. I said, I know you can get her good clothes and everything. There's probably many more boys around here who could make her better living. And uh, She's a pretty girl and a nice lady, and I said, Any anybody would want to go with her. I said, I don't know how breaks ever happen like that for me. I said, Charlie, there's nobody in the world loves her anymore than I do. I said, I can't do for her like you can, because I only make about 20 cents an hour. I said, Charlie, I'll work as hard as I can and do everything that I know is in my power to make her live and be good to her. I never will forget any ladies. He was a German and me an Irishman and we was always guying one another. Ladies, big hand over on my shoulder and said, Bill, I'd rather you'd have her than anybody I know of. He said, life don't mean what you've got. It's how contented you are with what you have. I said, thank you, Charlie. I... I love her, and I said, I'll be good to her and true, and I'll work as hard as I can for her. He said, I believe that. We got married, moved into a little two-room place. i never forget what we bought to go housekeeping, and I'll be done just in a minute. We, I went out, I had enough money to go to Sears and Roebuck to make a, a payment on a, a breakfast set that hasn't been painted yet. And I never forget it. I got me. I painted yellow and put a great big green shamrock right on every chair. <laughs> an Irishman, you know. We, and we had an old folding bed. How many of you ever know what a folding bed is? Somebody give it to us. And I went over to a junk dealer and got a stove for seventy-five cents a cooking stove. And I had to pay a dollar and something to get grease to go in it. And we put it in there and went to housekeeping. We didn't have very much, but we were happy. We had one another, that's all that matters. We love one another, that's steadily. Later on along, God gave us a little boy, standing right back here looking at me now. 
And how happy we were when this little fellow came into the world. And we loved God with all of our hearts. Just before, or just right after the boy was born, I took my first vacation. We saved up enough money that I had, I believe, around six, eight, ten dollars saved up, besides the car payment. And I went up to Michigan to visit with an old friend of mine that I met by the name of John Ryan, sitting right here now. I didn't know too much about Pentecostal people. And this old man I thought belonged to the house of David because he wore long hair and beard, but I found out it was wrong. I went to visit him. I guess you remember Brother Ryan. We stayed up there a few days, and on the road back when I got my first acquaintance with Pentecostal people. We come to Mishawaka, and there was a Mishawaka, Indiana, and there was a great convention going on. And there were old Fords and Cadillacs and everything sitting around, and I heard a lot of noise. And I went in to listen to these people. And they were shouting, or they're dancing and running and screaming. I thought, such manners in the church. And how they were going on, I thought, well, that's terrible for people to act like that in church. So I listened to them, and they were running up and down the floor, dancing and screaming and carrying on. I thought, that's just awful if they do that. My self-style Baptist ways, you know. So I, I thought, so that night I just waited to see what they would do. They had all the preachers come up on the platform and said, We're, we have about 500 of us up there. And he said, Hey, we haven't got time for you to stay down, but just say who you are and where you're from. So I just said, William Branham, Jeffersonville. Next day, they stopped them preachers preaching. They, they brought an old man out there, an old colored man, had a great big old long coat on. All them preachers had been preaching about different things that day, but he took his text from over and Job, Where were you and I laid the foundations of the world? and so forth. They've been preaching about earthly things, and he preached about heavenly things. And he took Christ up before the foundation of the world, brought him in the second coming down the horizontal rainbow. When he brought the old fellow out there, he was so old they had to leave him out. And about time he got all wound up to preaching, he jumped up in the air, clipped his heels together, said, Glory to God! He said, There's not enough room here for me to preach. And walked off the platform. I said, boy, if you'll make an old man act like that, I want that too. What will it do for me? I said, that's what I want. I didn't have any money, so I couldn't eat with him. I had 75 or 80 cents left besides my gas thing I had to buy. I couldn't stand a tourist court, so I went and bought me a big sack full of second-day rolls, you know, that, so I was eating them. I went out in that old cornfield and laid down that night, and I pressed my trousers between the two seats, you know, back seat and front seat, and put them in there and pressed it out. And I prayed all night for God to give me favor of those people. They had something I wanted. And so I thought, oh, that's what I've been looking for right there. So I went back down the next morning, and I'd all shined up. Best I had, I had a T-shirt on, seersucker trousers. Nobody knows me anyhow. So I went in and sat down. The colored folks were there. They had to have it above the mason Dixie line so that the color could sit around. And I had to sit down. First thing you know, a colored man sat down by me. I'm a southerner, too. <laughs> I look around and now this ain't right. Look at him. First thing you know, they come up, all that big group of people, all of them singing and going on like that. And I thought, this is wonderful. So the band come out, he said, last night on the platform, there was a young evangelist by the name of William Branham. Said, anybody know the word about there? There's 3,000 people there. 
Here's something. I was in the T-shirt, so I just kept real close like this. Does anybody know where William Branham is? We want him to bring the morning message. <laughs> morning message. Here's sucker trousers and T-shirt. I just hunkered down real easy like this, you know, down in his feet. So he announced again, said, anybody outside, if you know where William Branham is, tell him come in. Nobody knows me. So this colored man looked out there, you know the man? <laughs> I had a lie or do something, you know. So I said, look, I, I know him, yes. He said, go get him. I said, uh, look, don't say nothing. I said, I'm he, see. He said, well, get up there. And I said, well, I, I can't do it. I said, look here when I'm dressed. He said, damn people don't care how you dress. Go on up there. And I said, no, thank you. I said, shh, don't say nothing like that. He said, anybody found William Brandy? He said, here he is. Here he is. <laughs> here he is. Oh, my. Peter Tucker trousers and a T-shirt. <laughs> here I went, I've never seen a microphone before. And here I went walking up in this great, big cathedral of a place there, walking up there, you know, and I thought, oh, how out of place. <laughs> I took my text to one the rich man, and Luke, you know, lifted up his eyes in hell, and he cried. I got up there, and I said, and he lifted up, there's no children in hell, so he cried. There was no flowers, so he cried. There was no prayer meeting, and he cried. There was no this, that, and I cried. <laughs> and the first thing you know, the Holy Spirit got caught into that building, and I never seen such a carrying on at all. Wow, I went unconscious nearly. I was right in the right place and didn't know it. As we got outside, if we come to, <laughs> I got outside, and this fellow walked up to me, the great big Texas hat on, a pair of cowboy boots, said, say, I'm Reverend so-and-so. I said, well, say... <laughs> Maybe my tear sucker trousers is not so bad. Another fellow walked up, had on these little golf playing clothes, you know, said, I'm Dr. So-and-so from down in Florida. He said, will you come preach for me? Well, I don't I had a whole string of invitations, and I got my old fool. I was going to tell my wife. And down the road I went. She made 30 miles an hour. That's 15 miles this way and 15 miles up and down that way. You know, down the road I come, just as hard as I could go. I pull on the old brick out there in the two back wheels, scooted, bless her heart, she runs to the door and her arms open, you know, and she said, did you have a good time? I said, oh, a wonderful time. Tell me about being with Brother Ryan here and so forth. And I told her, I said, honey, I got something to tell you. But let me show you. Reach down my pocket, see all them? I said, I've always wanted to be in a banjo. I said, there is, I've got a, nothing but taking this last me all year. You go with me? I said, sure. Well, we still old that. Hundred dollars on the old Ford and debts and things, but she wanted to go with me. Well, we went and told her mother, Mom, she said, go ahead. But her mother said, Bill, no. She said, that ain't nothing but a bunch of backwash out of other churches. Just what other churches are kicked out. Well, I said, they're the happiest people in the world. We're not ashamed of their religion. They just clean out just as free as the water runs. I said, I like that. She said, it's just what other churches have kicked out. She said, it's nothing but a bunch of trash. And she, and I come to find out what she called trash is the dream of the cross. And I said that with respect. That's exactly right. So I said, well, she said, I said, but it's my wife. And she said, but it's my daughter. She said, she can go. If she goes, her mother will go to the grave brokenhearted. And hope started crying. She said, that's where I made my fatal mistake right there. So 
She said, well, if you want to, if you want to go, I'll go with you. And we went on and talked over, and instead of listening to God, I listened to the woman. Now, she may be, she might be sitting right here this afternoon, for all I know, I don't see her, but she may be. She's a good woman, but she just didn't understand at that time. Then sorrow set in. Immediately, though, we had a, after that little while, another little fellow was born, a little girl called Sharon Rose. The 1937 flood come up. Sorrows begin to break in. Things went wrong at the church. My congregation began to drop. Just get out of harmony with God one time. And friends, I'll always regret it as long as I live. Right then, my church thought I was a fanatic. It still is. Not my church body, Jeffersonville. No, no. I mean the Baptist church that I belong to. At home, I was a black sheep because I didn't drink and things, and all the rest of them did. In society, I didn't dance and didn't go to places and didn't play cards and those things, so I was a black sheep there. In church, I was a fanatic, and I just found out that that backwash is right where I belonged. I was one of them. That's exactly. They had something that was down in here, and deep was calling to deep, and it was where God was trying to get me. I ain't disregarding any other, any church or nothing about it. Every person that's born to the Spirit of God is the Son of God. That's right. But then I remember when the flood came up and my wife took sick. And I'll never forget that hour. My, the night the dike broke through down there, the levee. Brother Ryan, you was there. And I was working on the patrol. I thought it was a pretty good boatman. And I'm fixing to close the service. And I'll never forget that night, these few seconds. I want to try to put it to your heart to let you know of what taking place at that time. My wife taking sick. And the dike broke through that night. I remember beating Brother Ryan and them out there, and he was in my old boat, standing out the edge of the water, preaching to the people, going down the river. And then... I went to the hospital to get her, and the whole thing had washed away. And then I was out in a, went out to make a rescue to a woman. They come, told me there was somebody out there or a place across the street, and a house was going in, and the people were drowning. And I got in a boat and pulled the little pull string motor, and I got out there and got to where the woman was, and the house was just about to go over, a big two-story house shaking back and forth. Now I come down through the back of the alley like where I had to get in. I tied the boat, went, got a mother and some children and put them in the boat. Mother fainted. I got her in the boat, packing her, put her in the boat, got back out. And when she come to, when they got to sure, she began to scream, my baby, my baby. And I thought she left the baby in that house up there. Well, I tried to go back again. Come to find out it was a baby, she's a little two-year-old, three-year-old child she had there with her, and she didn't know where it was at, but I done got it in the boat. I went back to get the baby, and as I tied the boat to the post like this and got him to get look around, there's nothing in the house, the bottom gave away, and here I was in the house. And I rushed and jumped to the door real quick and fell into the water, got the post like this and pulled the string loose, jumped up in the boat again. And the current then got me out in the middle of the Ohio River, which is three or four times as wide as it is here. And then it was really wide. The whole city was swept over. And the motor, something happened. I couldn't get it started. And that current was taking me out in, towards the dam down there over the falls. 
be just as hard as it could swirl me around. I stand out there pulling that string as hard as it could and it wouldn't start and I pull again the boat turning and the waves the almost high as the ceiling is just like that. I had plenty of time to think about whether that was backwash or not or trash. I thought, oh my, this little fall over and over that piers and through that falls are going, that's the end of it. I thought, a wife, two babies, I got pulling the string like that and I was going on out into the river. I seen it wasn't going to start, and I started crying. I said, God, be merciful to me. Don't let me die out here like this. I pulled the string like that and pulled it again. It wouldn't start, and I choked it, and I had it flooded, and I was pulling again. I thought, oh, my, why? I couldn't, didn't know what to do. And then just about time they got in current, it started. I whirled around and got back, come back way out towards you, Albany, got in, went up to find my wife. The whole hospital was covered through as they came up with water, and it, I thought she's drowned and gone. She had Billy Paul back there, and Sharon, she was down with double pneumonia. So I asked them what become of them. They said they got on a train and went out in a cattle car. That sick mother with a 105 fever in a cattle car in her sleep, blowing just as hard as they could across. And then they said they went towards Charleston, and I started out to hit Charleston, got my boat, got in there, and there was about seven miles of water where a cricket backed up the rope through this way, and the current coming just as hard as it could come. I tried hour after hour, and I couldn't even get that boat to even pierce that, that current to bring me right back around like this again. I tried and tried, and there I come to find out I was marooned out on the island to myself. And there I sat for days, thinking all about that backwash, kick out of other churches. When I found her, actually the waters went out and I got to where she was, way up at Columbus, Indiana, in the Baptist Hospital, a place, room like this. I went through there screaming at the top of my voice. I was about wild. And I seen her raise up her hand and there, my darling, she fell off so much weight till she did went way over a hundred pounds. That pneumonia had went into tuberculosis. And she was dying. The intern come got me and take me back. He said, just a minute, aren't you a friend of Sam Adair? I said, Sam Adair is a doctor in Jeffersonville, a buddy of mine. And he said, well, look, we're going to stand here, Sam, because the girl so die. I said, she just, said uh, you're a minister, aren't you? I said, yes, sir. I said, well, you, and I said, you just don't go to her. Don't be excited. I said, you, I said, all right. And I straightened myself up and went out to see her. And, I, and she said, Bill, and I looked at her jaw sunk in those dark eyes way back. I knelt down beside of her and I started praying. We brought her home, her and the babies. We took her out of the hospital. They'd done everything that could be done. Dr. Miller, your little will come to look at her and said, there isn't a thing can be done. Went on and on until she laid just a few hours to live and I was out on patrol when I heard him call me. And I turned on, come down the road as hard as I could and said she was dying. They called for Reverend Brandon to come to the hospital, wife dying. I went into the hospital, I'll never forget it, as long as I lived. Rushed up the steps, went over to where she was laying there, looked at her, and she had already turned over on her side. Dr. Adair coming down the hall, bless his heart. We're neighbors now and always been buddies. He's come down the hall, he's seen me coming. Tears run down his cheeks and he's darted in sideways. I went out and said, what about it, Doc? We feast together, hunt together, live together. He said, Billy, 
He's probably gone by now. I said, Doc, let me hold your hand. Let's go in together. He said, Billy, I can't go in there. He said, as many pies and things, hopes cooked for me and things. Said, as good as she's been, I like my sister. Said, I can't go in, Bill. He's breaking his own heart. And I said, Doc, I'm going to know you sit here, Bill, just for a little while, and we'll let the undertaker come get her. And I said, I'm going in, doctor. He said, you can't do it. And I said, yes, I can. And he tried to pull me back. And I just went on, walked down the hall, opened up the door and went in. And there she was laying like that, the sheet up over. I pulled the sheet down. I looked at her laying there. I put my hand on her head. Felt real sticky. And I said, sweetheart, you hear me? I shook her again. I said, you hear me, honey? And if I live to be a hundred years old, I'll never forget those great big dark angel eyes opened up. True, lovely woman. She looked at 20 or 2 years old. Looked me right in the face. She said, oh, Bill. I knelt down and started crying. She put her arm over on me and began to pat me. She said, why'd you call me back? Just then the nurse ran in. She said, Reverend Brandon, you can't stay in. I said, just a minute, nurse. We knew her real well. My wife called her over. She said, Bonita, I said, I hope when you get married you have a husband like mine. But he's been so good to me. And she had her arm around me. And I said, what were you talking about, honey? She said, Bill, I was being taken home. The nurse left the room. And she said, I've been taken home, and some angels like was going down, said, it's just so peaceful, a great tropic, and said, the big birds are flying from tree to tree. She said, I don't think I'm beside myself. I said, yes. What it was, her eyes were just open to see paradise. Just at, And she said, you know why I'm going, don't you, Bill? And that's what hurt. I said, I believe so, honey. She said, I, said, I hope I didn't influence you when I was crying that day when her mother said that these people were backwashed. I said, no. She said, Bill, it's the most glorious thing in the world to die with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She said, I don't mind. She said, I hate to leave you. She said, but take care of Billy Paul. That's my boy sitting right there. She said, take care of him and raise him a Christian. And said, then you also, and Sharon, the little girl, and said, don't stay single. She said, I want to ask you some things to promise you. She said, remember that time you wanted to buy that rifle and Lowell didn't have enough money to make a down payment of $2? And I said, yeah. She said, after I'm gone, she said, go home and look up under the folding bed on that newspaper. I was saving nickels to get enough money to make the down payment on that rifle for me. She knew what I wanted for that. You don't ever know how I felt when I went home and seen about a dollar and seventy-five cents laying there. She saved it for months trying to get enough money to make that payment. She said, would you promise me you'll get that rifle? I said, yeah. And she said, then I don't want you to stay single. Said, you get some good Christian girl with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that'll raise the children right. She said, well, you, I want you to meet me there at the gate. Sorry, honey, but I won't promise to get married again. 
She said, please promise me. So I don't want the children pull from post to post like that. And said, promise that you'll never let down no more. That you'll always preach this wonderful, glorious gospel and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She said, Bill, there's not one weary in the world that I have right now. She said, I'm just as she's just as willing to die as the water flows down that river. She said, I just hate to leave you and the children. But she said, I'm going back, that I have no desire to stay. I said, honey, on that morning, you stand over on the east side of the gate. Somewhere, somewhere in the world, if I'm living, I'll be preaching this gospel until the time that I meet you. And if I sleep before then, we don't believe in death. There's no scripture in the Bible that says a Christian dies. No, sir. They're not dead. And so I said, if I'm sleeping, I'll be by your side there at the grave. I said, but if I'm not, I'll be somewhere in the world preaching the gospel, and, and, and I'll get the kids together, or you get them, and you stand on the east side of the gate. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the rest of them coming up, I'll be there. And she put her arms around me, and I kissed her goodbye. That was it. The angels come pack her away. I took off home. And just as I got home, not knowing it, here comes someone right in and said, Brother Bram, yeah. Said your baby's dying also. Baby dying, yeah, little fat, healthy thing. I remember her mother used to put the little three corners on her, set her out in the yard. I blow my arm when she come around, she's just big enough to jump and go goo 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 goo. Just sweet and plump. How I loved her. I said, my baby's not going, yep. I rushed the hospital real quick. Sam Sanders said, you can't go in, Bill. Said, she's developed tuberculosis meningitis, and she's dying now. I told Billy Paul, said, we got him away. Said, you can't go in now. Said, you pick up that germ, take it back to Billy. And I said, surely, doctor. I waited, he turned his back, and I went in anyhow. I went in, they had her in an isolating place, not a very good hospital. Had the flies, was all in her little eyes, and I went out there and looked at the poor little thing, and I shook her, her little legs fat, moving back and forth, a little spasm, right? And when she opened her little eyes and looked at me, she was blue-eyed, and those little blue eyes, she suffered so hard that they were crushed. And when she looked at me, I said, Sherry, do you know your daddy, honey? And her little lips began to quiver, she was trying to reach for me. And was dying. I knelt down and I said, Oh God, please don't let my baby die. I'm sorry that I listened to what somebody else said. Take me and let my baby live. I'm the one that's sin, I'm the one that's wrong. I said, Let my baby live, God. Don't take her. I love her so much. And while I was praying, I looked, looked like a black sheep come folding down. I know. I know that was it. Just a few minutes, the nurse came in and said, Reverend, you can't stand in here. I said, what's going on? Then the angel of God come take the little thing home. I walked over and put my hand on her little head. I said, sweetheart, God bless your little heart. I said, you're going to be a little angel directly in the arms of mother. She's laying there in the morgue now. I said, God, I've done wrong, but 
Someday, if you forgive me, I'll make it all right to you. I said, you gave her to me, you're taking her away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I said, I love you, Lord, with all my heart. I felt her little flesh quiver. It was gone. I couldn't hold myself together. My bones wouldn't hold together, it looked like. I was dying. I take her, put her in her mother's arms, take her up there on the hill, dug her hole. I stand there, Brother Smith, Methodist Church, my buddy, preached the funeral. I heard him reach over and get those clods and say, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Earth to earth. Just then whispering down through those pine trees, cometh the wind, seem like he's singing, there's a land beyond the river that they call the sweet forever. We only reach that shore by faith degree. One by one we gain the portal. There to dwell with the immortal. Someday they'll ring those golden bells for you and me. You know, one of the reasons, my boy, he's this little bitty fellow. He's taking a flower over to his mother's grave. He had his hat in his hand, a little flower holding. On Easter morning, he started snubbing and crying. Billy Paul, the one that helped me here in the service. I put my arm around him. Walked up, we cut the little flower down just as his breaking day. I said, I stand up, honey. I said, Mother and sister, their body lays there. Way across the sea, other there's an empty tomb. Some glorious day by his death and resurrection, this will be empty and we'll be with him again. So don't worry, honey. I couldn't stand it. I tried to work. I tried to, I could see my wife go, but my baby, I just couldn't get over it. I remember one evening, trying to come from work. I picked up some mail on the side of the house and I looked. said, Miss Sharon Rose Branham, her little Christmas savings, 80 cents. I went in, I was trying to batch, and I looked, little old two rooms there, and one of them, I never had no fire on the other side. Frost come up to the floor, and I knelt down there by my little old stove, and I caught, and I was praying. I said, oh, God, why didn't you take her? And while I was laying there praying, sobbing away in the night, I must have fell asleep. And I dreamed that I, I seen... Going walking along, I've spent a lot of time, about 20 years with cattle in the West. I was going walking along, I had on my hat, big hat. I was kicking my spurs along, just going along like that, whistling that song, The Wheel on the Wagon's Broken. Sign on the ranch for sale. And I looked at his old prairie scooter there, and the wheel was broke down. And I looked and there, stood a beautiful young girl sitting there. She said, hello, Daddy. And I said, who are you? And she said, I'm your little Sharon. She said, Mother's waiting for you. I said, up at your new home. I said, new home. I said, we never had a new home, honey. She said, you got one up here, Daddy. And I started up and I hear him singing that song. I see the lights of the city so bright. I got up in there. She was standing there looking at me. She put her arms around me, greeting me. She always did. She said, won't you sit down? And I looked, and there was a, a Morris chair. I started looking at Morris chair, looked back at her, she said, I know what you're thinking about. Down here one time, I just, we had just one chair. And I, the chair only cost $15, I was going to buy down here. And I made a $2 payment on it and was paying a dollar a week. 
know what you get to a place where you can't make ends meet. You all know what I'm talking about. It's no disgrace to be poor. I just couldn't make the ends meet, and I missed those repayments, and they told me to go come get it. And we just couldn't make the payment. And one day when I come down there for get it, she'd bake me a cherry pie and everything. And she said, come in. And I went to the front room, and my chair was gone. Or I want to work hard all day and preach half the night, and they come in on a set that chair called the light shoe. And they'd come tuck it from me. And she said, won't you sit down? Does the chair look like it? Only much bigger. And she said, you remember that one down on earth? I said, yes. She said, Bill, they'll never take that one. That was already paid for. It's yours. Sit down. Excuse me, people. And some glorious day, Someday I'm going to preach my last sermon. I'm going to pray for the last six words I'll ever have to. But there's a chair sitting across the river. I want to sit down a while. Some woman said to me not long ago, said, Brother Matthew, you're at home, you're going all night and all day, and you never did, and everything. So when do you ever get any rest? I said, when I cross the river, I got a chair over there. I'm going to sit down and rest a little while. Our heads. Lord, forgive me, Lord, for being a baby. But as a journey down through them old ways, re- the scars and faces of remember God's grant that the people, if there's any dear Lord, kind of undecided about what they're going to do hereafter, maybe. Reach out and touch your hand. I believe on the other side you have my beloved wife, my baby, my little Sharon. I thank you for restoring to me, Lord, all that I lost and more. I love you. And truly with all my heart, I want to serve you as long as I live. It don't make that difference what they call or what they say. I, I want to serve you. Dear God, there may be some poor little old Kentucky brothers, sisters sitting here this afternoon who doesn't know yet. I pray, God, if there is, that you'll forgive them right now. Grant it, Lord. And may they come to the, when that great time of rest comes and the labors are all over, we'll sit down together in the kingdom of God. Hear the prayer of your servant. While we have our heads bowed just a moment. Are you here without God this afternoon? If you are, would you raise up your hand and say, Brother Bram, I want to meet you over there. I want to share the fellowship together in God's kingdom with you. Will you remember me in prayer? Will you raise your hand up if you will? Say, remember me. Is there anyone in the building? God bless you, honey. So, God bless you. 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 If God will hear my prayers to open the eyes of the blind, to make the deaf to hear and the cripples to walk, won't he hear if he's seeking after his righteousness? Is there any here that hasn't got this wonderful baptism of the Holy Spirit, never been born again? 
You say, I belong to church, Brother Bram, and that won't work, sister, brother. It's all right to live here, but wait till you come down tasting death. Then you'll know. If you haven't the Holy Spirit, would you raise up your hand and say, pray for me. Let every head be bowed now. God bless you, lady. You, 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 you. Would you give us a little card on the piano? I'm going to ask just a short season now, while we remain just quiet as we can. Those who are seeking God, will you come up here and stand at the altar? I want to shake your hands, put my hands on you, pray with you. Will you come now? God bless you, sir. Will you walk up here? Just God bless you, lady. God bless you. together now while we sing. Someone else stand around here with these who are seeking God. Are you a sinner and don't know God in the free pardoning of sin? Won't you come now right around the altar and stand here just for a word of prayer? We're going right away then. If you haven't got the Holy Spirit, come and receive God's blessings as far as each one of you. Won't you come? Once more now, come home. All the audience now together. Come home, God bless you. You are weary, come home. Calling home. 
sincerely as you can be, if you will, just a moment. Friends, you're standing around the altar here, knowing that your mortal beings has got to step out into eternity in a few days. How many ministers are in the building, spirit-filled ministers? Would you come here just a moment, brethren, stand around with these people? Spirit-filled ministers of the gospel are altar workers. Would you move up, you that's got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, altar workers would stand right around these people. That's wonderful. God bless you. That's right. Many coming, moving around the altar. Now, you that's seeking God around the altar here, the only thing you can do now is come near to him in your faith and believe. I want you ministers to reach over and lay hands on them if you will come here, brother. Lay your hands over on these that's standing here seeking God. If the audience would be real reverent out there just for a few moments while we pray, if you will. Now, you be ready, the Holy Spirit here to bless you. I'm going to ask prayer then, brother, to continue on with prayer. Now, shall we all bow our heads everywhere while we're praying? Everyone offer prayer now for these people. Our Heavenly Father, mercifully believe that you will come into this congregation just now. These who are standing here needy, wanting the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this may be their last time, the last dying hour of their life. They're wanting to be saved and filled with the Spirit. I pray that you'll grant it, Lord. You said, except the man be born of water and of spirit, he will in no wise enter into the kingdom. Now ask thee, Lord. Oh, God, poor little old people here trying their best to get with you. You won't turn them down, will you, Lord? You sure won't. They're welcome in your house. They're welcome with you. And I pray just now that in Jesus' name that you'll fill each one of them with the Holy Ghost, Lord. And as these ministers and workers have their hands laid up on them, may the Holy Ghost come, Lord. Bless them and fill them with the goodness of God. Hear the prayer, Lord, through Jesus' precious Christ's name we ask. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.